Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 193 of the number one GDPR podcast worldwide, the GDPR Weekly Show. So coming up in this week's episode, we have news that hackers claim to have breached Coca-Cola and leaked some data. We then travel to Northern Ireland, where Northern Ireland house workers have been affected by a data breach. And then we return to the UK, where the British Army recruitment website is still down weeks after the original data breach. We then have an update on the Blackboard data breach. And then we have news that a leaked meta document, i.e. from what used to be Facebook, shows the difficulties that Facebook is having trying to comply with GDPR. We then travel to India, where Ola Electric is accused of a data breach. And then to France, where a far-right website has been investigated after a breach which released the details of influential Muslims. We then travel to the Netherlands, where the Dutch Data Protection Authority has fined the Dutch Tax Authority and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs for breaches of GDPR. We then return to the UK, where the ICO has issued some useful guidance on the implementation of GDPR and its impact on life sciences research or health research. We then return to France, where dataless biology has been fined by CNIL after a data breach. We then have news of a security breach at GitHub. And we then have details of a new report on implementation of GDPR in the translation and interpretation sector. We then travel to the USA, where Median is facing legal action after a data breach. And then to Brazil, where McDonald's has had a data breach. And then finally this week, we go to Bahrain and we take a look at their new GDPR-like regulations, which have come into force and what their implications are. So, as always, a wide range of articles for you this week. We hope that you find the information in the articles useful and informative. We always value your feedback. So if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, but unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. A group of hackers is claiming to have caused the data breach at Coca-Cola, but cybersecurity experts are casting doubt on the claim. A group calling itself Stormus said it gained access to a tranche of Coca-Cola's confidential data and is offering it for the equivalent of about $64,000 in Bitcoin. Coca-Cola told the Wall Street Journal that it's aware of the claim and is cooperating with law enforcement. However, cybersecurity experts noted that Stormus had a reputation for claiming to have hacked data that is already made available on the dark web by others. One said that cybercriminals often exaggerate the extent of their hacks to pressure the victims to pay. Stormus claims to be acting on behalf of Russia in retaliation for Coca-Cola's decision to pull out of the country after it invaded Ukraine. Do you ever wish there was a simple way to get to grips with GDPR? Well, now there is. Our best-selling book, GDPR Made Simple, is available on Amazon for just £7.99. It's a short, concise guide to all you need to know about UK GDPR. It's thoroughly recommended for everyone, whatever your level of experience with GDPR. So that's GDPR Made Simple on Amazon right now. To Northern Ireland now, and more than 2,000 house workers are at the centre of a data breach. A major investigation is underway to get to the bottom of how the breach happened. Workers across all of the trusts impacted have been informed of the development by letter. It's understood that the data concerned varies from general information about an employee to more personal details like national insurance numbers. 
The breach is linked to the business services organisation in charge of pay, travel and expenses for all health service workers in Northern Ireland. In a letter, the business service organisation has said, as part of a wider investigation which is currently ongoing, we have become aware that data has been forwarded to a staff member's personal email account. There has been independent verification that the data has now been deleted. At this point of the investigation, the staff members indicated that it was not used for any other purpose and was shared to the personal email account for wider workload management purposes only. The data breach has also been reported to the Information Commissioner's Office, BSA Human Resources and Counter Fraud. The Department of Health in Northern Ireland has confirmed an investigation has been launched into the data breach which has been widened to include more workers. A spokesperson said as part of an investigation into a data breach within BSO Shared Services, a wider investigation was initiated. It was discovered that there were further individuals impacted. All those impacted in the process have been communicated with and support measures are being implemented. The ICO has been formally notified as have trade unions. At this time, investigation is still ongoing. Focusing on individuals impacted and we are unable to comment further. If we get any update on this from the BDO in Northern Ireland or indeed from the ICO, we would of course bring it to you right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. If you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, you might remember back in episode 189, we brought you news of a data breach which had disrupted the UK Army recruitment. But this week, the British Army's online recruitment portal is still offline having now been offline for more than a month following the data breach. MOD officials shut the computerised enrolment system down in the middle of March as a precaution after the personal data of more than 100 army recruits was found being offered for sale on the dark web. An investigation was launched to determine whether cyber criminals had hacked into the internal defence recruitment system and exfiltrated recruits' personal data. Data reportedly exposed in the incident included full names, dates of birth, addresses, qualifications and previous employment details. A British Army spokesperson said, following the compromise of a small selection of recruit data, the Army's online recruitment services were temporarily suspended pending an investigation. The investigation has now concluded to allowing some functionality to be restored and applications to be processed. While internal access to the recruitment system has now been restored, the Army continues to rely on its emergency backup methods to recruit new soldiers, as the external online recruitment portal is still not functioning. Visitors to the recruitment login page are greeted with a message that the service is currently experiencing some technical difficulties. Candidates with questions about their application in the process are instructed to dial a dedicated phone number. UK Defence Minister Leo Doherty said on Monday, March 14th, Army HQ were made aware of a breach of information in relation to potential Army candidate data. The breach related to 124 potential candidates whose accounts have been accessed on March 13th. On March 21st, the Ministry of Defence submitted a formal breach notification to the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO. A spokesperson for the ICO said after making inquiries and carefully reviewing the information provided, we've decided that no further action was needed at this time. Member of Parliament Marc Francois, a former Defence Minister, said this security breach is extremely concerning, not least in light of Russia's war in Ukraine and Russia's long history of hostile cyber operations. When we get any update on this from the MOD or the British Army, we will of course bring it to you right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. To America now, and if you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, then you might remember that back in episodes 101, 102, 106, 111, 158 and 175 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we brought you updates on the significant data breach at Blackboard. Well, this week, things have taken a legal move over the Blackboard data breach. But first, a little bit of background. 
In the spring of 2020, cyber criminals infiltrated the computer networks of Blackboard, a South Carolina-based cloud computing provider. Once in Blackboard's system, the criminals copied the data of a number of individuals and held it for ransom. The targets of the attack were not direct customers of Blackboard, but rather individuals who provided their data to companies, which in turn contracted with Blackboard to manage the data. Even so, Blackboard paid the ransom to the cyber criminals on the condition that the cyber criminals immediately and permanently destroyed all the data. Once the data breach went public, lawsuits by the affected individuals sprang up in state and federal courts across the country, and indeed here in the UK and across Europe. While these suits centre on the question of whether Blackboard had a sufficient security system, the most recent dispute in the federal litigation involves Blackboard's response and public communications regarding the data breach. Specifically, plaintiffs asserted that the notice Blackboard provided on its website misrepresented the type of data stolen and failed to take into account the harm class members face as a result of the breach. Accordingly, plaintiffs moved for an order requiring Blackboard to send a corrective notice to its customers and the public. The plaintiff's motion, however, quickly ran into a problem under the First Amendment. As the District of South Carolina noted, a court generally cannot restrain a party's speech unless it's necessary to prevent serious misconduct, and that need outweighs the party's free speech rights. In the class action context, courts have held that there is a serious threat to the fairness of the litigation process that can justify a limitation on speech when one party disseminates misleading communications to class members concerning their rights relating to the pending litigation. For example, a court might order a corrective notice to prevent a party then coercing putative class members into unknowingly waiving their rights. However, Blackboard's notices the court held did not mislead putative class members in this way. In fact, the court noted plaintiffs have alleged no conduct by Blackboard that has interfered with their ability to bring this lawsuit or mislead potential class members regarding their rights in this litigation. Indeed, plaintiffs' complaints against Blackboard's notices do not centre on the putative class members' rights at all, but rather dispute Blackboard's rendition of the key substantive, disputed issues at the heart of the litigation. As Blackboard's notice did not meaningfully interfere or threaten to interfere with putative class member rights, the court declined to order any corrective notice. We still don't have a date when the main Blackboard case will come to court, but as soon as it does, we will, of course, bring you regular updates here on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Another company which we mentioned quite readily here on the GDPR Weekly Show is Facebook, and this week, Motherboard Vice had an explosive report on Facebook's business that's sure to raise fresh questions over the lack of enforcement of European privacy laws against Facebook. The report is based on a leaked internal document written last year by privacy engineers on Facebook's ad and business product team. The document, which is entitled ABP Privacy Infra Long Range Investments, appears to show engineers at Facebook, now known as Meta, scratching their heads at the nightmarish tasks they're facing trying to make Facebook's data-ingesting ads business compliant with the tsunami of global privacy regulations that need it to know how user data flows through its systems so the company can apply policies that control what's done with people's information and perform basic stuff like reflecting people's privacy choices. Meta's text deploys some internal business shorthand and acronyms whose literal meanings aren't always clear, but reading the document you can certainly get the gist of what it's talking about. It makes clear that Meta has designed its ad system in such a totally unsiloed way that it is very, very far from being able to comply with laws like GDPR. Bearing in mind, of course, that GDPR has a purpose limitation, principle meaning that you should only hold data 
that you have a current use for and you can demonstrate what that use is. Also in the document, Facebook's engineers don't appear confident of being able to transform the mess and achieve timely compliance with a bunch of other incoming global regulations. Meta disputes, of course, that the document shows any non-compliance with privacy laws. In a statement, the company claims the document does not describe our extensive processes and controls to comply with privacy regulations, adding therefore that it's simply inaccurate to conclude that it demonstrates non-compliance, and further claiming new privacy regulations across the globe introduce different requirements, and this document reflects the technical solutions we are building to scale the current measures we have in place to manage data and meet our obligations. We contacted the Irish Data Protection Commission, DPC, as it's their role to look into GDPR breaches at Facebook, and asked it whether it be opening an investigation into Facebook's ad data flows in light of what the document appears to show, and indeed whether the document is of any relevance to their existing ongoing investigations it has into aspects of Facebook's business. Deputy Commissioner Graham Doyle confirmed it had seen the document for the first time when Motherboard Vice published it. The bottom line is that GDPR has been enforced for almost four years now, and Facebook itself still has not received any major penalties, including the penalty given recently to WhatsApp. A Meta spokesperson did not respond to a question asking whether, following the motherboard report, Meta itself had contacted the DPC to provide its lead EU regulator with information on how its ad system functions. If we do get any update on this from the DPC, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Do you ever wish there was a simple way to get to grips with GDPR? Well, now there is. Our best-selling book, GDPR Made Simple, is available on Amazon for just £7.99. It's a short, concise guide to all you need to know about UK GDPR. It's thoroughly recommended for everyone, whatever your level of experience with GDPR. So that's GDPR Made Simple on Amazon right now. To India now, and the electric vehicle supplier Ola Electric has been accused of a personal data breach. The customer involved has questioned Ola Electric's privacy and integrity of their so-called secure data. The customer has now issued a takedown notice to the company for apparently violating their own terms and conditions of data privacy and even making the students telemetry data public. Telemetry data is technology that Ola Electric uses to get data and information about their electric vehicles, which gets transferred to their database and servers remotely. This data is meant to be private and only allowed to be accessed by the company and the owner of the electric vehicle. This is not the first spat between this particular customer and Ola Electric, as he's already complained to Ola about the 40 brakes that constantly fail or just are just not strong enough. Ola Electric has also been facing many issues recently with 40 parts, vehicles breaking down, losing charge quickly or simply not switching on. According to lawyer Ritam Singh, he was driving in the night in Jawasi Assam at around 60 kilometres per hour when he spotted a speed breaker. He'd applied the brakes accordingly but the scooter malfunctioned, increasing in speed and he ended up flying in the air and injuring himself badly. The accident left him with a broken arm and multiple other gashes and wounds all over his body. After conducting investigation from their side, they realised that the man was over-speeding in the dark roads and applied the brakes too late in a state of panic. This caused him to lose control of the vehicle, which ended up as an accident. The company even published the data and proof on their own social media. Retam's father, Balwant, said that the company conducted their investigations behind closed doors and there was no proof that they hadn't tampered with the data or even just posted fabricated numbers. He went on to say that if they had done all this in front of him, he would not have questioned it. He also said that companies should not post the work data to the public for everyone to see, as that was a breach of their contract. 
Only Electric have declined to comment. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To France now, and a criminal investigation has been opened against a far-right website that published data about leading French Muslim figures. Prosecutors in France confirmed on Wednesday. The far-right website, F. de Suisse, allegedly leaked a file containing personal information about several notable Muslim figures, including imams, journalists and activists, who they labelled as Islamo-leftists. The complaint was made by journalist Taha Bahouf and his lawyer Ari Alimi on behalf of over 100 victims when the data was leaked last September. The list included several members of the left-wing political party France Insoumise, headed by third-place presidential candidate Jean-Luc Mélenchon, as well as the journalist Faiza Ben Mohammed. Perhaps, who is an anti-racism and anti-police brutality activist, confirmed the opening investigation on social media. According to the Paris Prosecutor's Office, the investigation was entrusted to the Banditry Repression Brigade, a police special unit of France's Ministry of Interior. The leaked document dates back to November 2019, when the website published the names and professions of a group of Muslim activists who called for a demonstration against Islamophobia. The activists' political views were also detailed in the data leaks. Eftesus was responsible for another data breach in 2017, according to the French edition of the Huffington Post. Pierre Sertorel, one of Eftesus' editors, said that he did not partake in anything illegal and the data was already in public. France is home to Europe's largest Muslim community, numbering approximately 5.7 million people. Activists say that French Muslims are subject to discriminatory policies in France, such as the so-called anti-separation law and the government dissolving organisations in monitoring Islamophobia. Back in episode 168 of the GDPR show, we brought you news of breaches of GDPR by the Dutch Tax Authority. Well, this week, the Dutch Privacy Protection Authority imposed an unprecedented fine of 4 0.75 million euros for significant violations of GDPR on the Dutch Tax Authority. The regulator found that the Dutch Tax Authority unlawfully collected sensitive personal data of over a quarter of a million Dutch citizens and recorded it in its fraud signaling system for over six years. Some of the individuals whose data were recorded in the system were wrongly identified as potential fraudsters. According to the Dutch DPA, the Dutch Tax Authority committed the following violations of GDPR. Processing personal data without a proper legal basis under GDPR. Processing personal data without predetermining a purpose for processing. Inclusion of incorrect or outdated data in the system. Retention of data for an excessive duration. Deficient security measures. And unjustifiable delays in conducting a compulsory data protection impact assessment. In addition, the Dutch regulator imposed a fine of €565,000 on the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs for extended large-scale violations of GDPR in its visa application process. The regulator determined that the Ministry did not provide applicants with sufficient information regarding the sharing of their personal data with third parties and did not implement sufficient security measures in the visa application system. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, has published new guidance on the provisions in the UK GDPR and the Data Protection Act 2018 relating to processing personal data for research purposes. The guidance provides clarity to health and life sciences companies and will be broadly welcomed in an area that is often difficult to navigate, not least because the law is contained in various provisions and has been varying guidance on how to interpret them. The ICO consultation on the guidance closed on the 22nd of April this year. 
The ICA is also consulting on its draft guidance concerning anonymization, pseudonymization, and privacy enhancing technologies. This consultation is on 16th of September 2022. Separately, the UK government is currently considering changes to research provisions as part of its proposals to reform the UK data protection regime and build on its vision of enhancing life sciences in the United Kingdom. In April 2022, the UK government published a review of the use of health data for research and analysis. The ICO acknowledges these proposals, but says this guidance is important to support organisations using personal data for research right now. So why is the guidance important? The guidance is particularly relevant to life sciences, medical device and healthcare technology companies that use health-related data for research purposes, including as part of clinical trials, clinical investigations or wider research. It's also relevant to health and life sciences companies that are looking to reuse data sets that they already hold. So what's the definition of scientific research? UK GDPR references three broad types of research purposes. Archiving purposes in the public interest, scientific or historical research purposes, and statistical purposes. In the health and life sciences sector, scientific research is likely the most common purpose, although the guidance also provides helpful pointers on the use of statistical purposes where the primary aim or purpose of the processing is to produce statistical outputs. The ICO notes there's no definition of scientific research in UJ GDPR and says this term should be understood broadly and extend beyond traditional academic research to research in commercial settings. The guidance says that a key feature of scientific research is to produce new knowledge or apply existing knowledge in new ways, often with the aim of benefiting the public interest. Examples include advancing the state of the art in a given field, or providing innovation solutions to human problems, generating new understandings that add to the sum of human knowledge, or producing findings of general application that can be tested and replicated. And of course, people are probably much more aware of scientific research because of the research which went into finding a vaccine for COVID-19. In the guidance, the ICO produces a non-exhaustive indicative list of activities and features that will help demonstrate that the purpose of processing is scientific research. While it's not necessary to meet all the features, the ICO stated it would expect an organisation to meet more than one. This, therefore, appears to be something of a balancing test. So when considering whether what you are doing is scientific research, the guidance says activities should include formulating hypothesis, isolating variables, designing experiments, objective observation, measurement of data, peer review and the publication of findings. Standards should include ethics guidance and committee approval, peer review, compliance with regulatory requirements and involving the public, and access should include publication results and commitment to sharing research findings. However, this does not need to be open access publication. So it's our view that these features are likely to be met where a life sciences organisation conducts a regulated clinical trial or a clinical investigation. However, when the research falls outside of the regulatory formalities and in a commercial setting, including for artificial intelligence or product development, careful assessment is going to be required. So what about lawful basis? What lawful basis can an organisation rely on for processing health-related data for research purposes? Well, the guidance says that health and life sciences companies processing special category data, which causes will often be the case, need both an Article 6 lawful basis and an Article 9 special category condition. The ICO notes that there's no specific Article 6 lawful basis for processing and would depend on the controller's status and context. For example, public organisations may rely on the task of being in the public interest, while commercial companies and research organisations could probably seek to rely on legitimate interest. 
To satisfy the special territory condition of scientific research, the controller must also only post the special territory data if the processing is A. Necessary, B. Subject to appropriate safeguards, C. Not likely to cause substantial damage or substantial distress to the individual, the data subject, and D. Not used for measures or decisions about particular individuals, except in the case of approved medical research, and E. Be in the public interest. So could you use consent as a lawful basis for data processing for medical research? According to the guidance, in most cases, consent will not be the most appropriate lawful basis for processing special territory data for scientific research. This is because under UK GDPR, the individual must be able to withdraw the consent at any time. If an entity is relying on consent as their lawful basis and the individual withdraws their consent, the entity needs to stop processing their personal data immediately. Now, obviously, that could cause problems if someone was in the middle of a clinical trial. Additionally, if an entity collects data on the basis of consent and wants to reuse it for secondary research, it's likely that they have to go back to the data subject to obtain new consent under UK GDPR, rather than just going ahead with that, whereas if you use another basis for retaining the data, then you possibly won't need to go back to the data subject to get further consent. The guidance confirms that consent as a lawful basis for data processing under the UK GDPR is distinct from, and not to be confused with, consent to participate in the research study. So what if you're an organisation that's collected data and you now want to carry out some secondary research? Can you do that? Well, the guidance provides a helpful interpretation of the purpose limitation in Article 5 of UK GDPR, which has sometimes been viewed too narrowly. The guidance states that the purpose limitation requires the processor to be open and honest about their reasons for obtaining the data and prevent function creep. However, the ICO goes on to say that this limitation specifically does not apply to research. So what does this mean? Well, it means that an organisation is permitted to reuse existing personal data for research-relating purposes if they have appropriate safeguards, such as technical and organisational measures to ensure data minimisation and that the processing is otherwise fair and lawful. However, the ICO also states that the data cannot be repurposed without further consent if the original basis of processing was consent, which again would give a strong reason not to use consent as your main reason for processing when you're putting a data protection impact assessment together for any medical research. The other question, of course, is what if the original data you didn't collect yourself but you got it from another organisation? Well, the guidance states that if the data was obtained from another organisation, then the recipient organisation is collecting new data rather than repurposing data that they've already collected. In this case, the recipient organisation cannot rely on the original organisation's purpose. Instead, they need to identify their own lawful basis for processing and should update their privacy information. And obviously what that means is, in either of these cases really, if you're taking part in a new or you're designing a new life sciences research programme, or you're taking part in a life sciences research programme which doesn't already had a data protection impact assessment carried out, you really, really do need to carry out a data protection impact assessment before you launch too far into the research. Ideally, of course, before you begin the research. If you need any help with any of this, please contact us using the contact details that are coming up right now. We are already an approved supplier for GDPR services for these purposes to a major UK university. And so we would love to talk to you about your project too, if you are within the medical research or education sector. Just to conclude, the guidance says that technical trial or ethical consent should not be confused with UK GDPR consent. 
However, a thorny question remains unanswered in the guidance of the interplay between medical confidentiality, consent, and the lawful basis and special category conditions of GDPR. To give that a bit of context, in 2017, the ICO held at the processing by the Royal Free London NHS Trust in the context of research on a possible medical device was in breach of the common law duty of confidentiality because patients were not adequately informed that their records would be processed for clinical safety testing and that informed consent was likely to be required. Accordingly, the ICO in that instance found that the processing was not lawful under GDPR. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com Staying with the life sciences sector but travelling to France now, and the French Data Protection Authority, CNIL, has fined medical software vendor Daedalus Biology with a €1.5 million Euro fine for violating three articles of GDPR. Daedalus Biology provides services to thousands of medical laboratories across France, and the fine is for exposing sensitive details of 491,939 patients from 28 laboratories. The database leaked online and revealed the following patient details. Full name, social security number, name of prescribing doctor, date of examination, medical information such as HIV status, cancer, genetic diseases, pregnancies, treatments, etc. and generic information. This information has been widely shared on the internet so dangerous biology clients are running the risk of getting socially engineered, fished, scammed or even blackmailed. The first signs of the database leak appeared as far back as March 2020 with ANSSI issuing a related alert to one of the exposed labs in November 2020. In February 2021, the French magazine Zataz located a sale of a ticket data set on the dark web and confirmed that the information was valid. The senior ruled that Daedalus Biology had violated Article 29 of GDPR, which is a failure to comply with the controller's instructions. More specifically, during migration from the software of a different vendor, at a request of two medical laboratories, Daedalus extracted more information than required. They were also found to have violated Article 32 of GDPR, which makes the data processors liable for failure to secure the information. Senior's investigation found the following associated failures. Lack of specific procedure for data migration operations. Lack of encryption of personal data stored on a problematic server. Absence of automatic deletion of data after migration to the other software. Lack of authentication required from the internet to access the public area of the server. Use of user accounts shared between several employees on the private part of the server. Absence of supervision procedure and security alert escalation on the server. Senior also ruled that the company had breached Article 28, which covered the obligation to provide a formal contract or legal act for the data process on behalf of the controllers, which in this case was the laboratories. The above violations, Senior decided to impose a penalty of €1.5 million, Euros, calculated as 10% of the company's annual revenue. Daedalus had hoped to receive a more lenient penalty based on its willingness to collaborate with senior investigators, but the Data Protection Office noted that the firm took no steps to limit the dissemination of leaked data online, so there was no basis for recognising alleviating factors. Meanwhile, Senior was currently investigating another case that exposed the sensitive medical insurance information of 510,000 French people, reported by insurance provider L'Assurance Maladie. According to the details made public by the firm, 19 doctors using its online information portal fell victims to a phishing campaign, essentially giving hackers access to sensitive personal information. As a result of this breach, full names, dates of birth, sex, social security number and data relating to insurance rights have been compromised. When we get more details on that data breach, we will just bring it to you right here on the GDPR Week Show.
Do you ever wish there was a simple way to get to grips with GDPR? Well, now there is. Our best-selling book, GDPR Made Simple, is available on Amazon for just £7.99. It's a short, concise guide to all you need to know about UK GDPR. It's thoroughly recommended for everyone, whatever your level of experience with GDPR. So that's GDPR Made Simple on Amazon right now. GitHub has revealed details of a security breach that has allowed an unknown attacker to download data from dozens of private code repositories. The attacker authenticated to the GitHub API using stolen OAuth user tokens issued to two third-party OAuth integrators, Heroku and Travis CI. In most cases where the affected Heroku or Travis CI OAuth apps were authorised in the user's GitHub accounts, the attacker listed all the user's organisations before selecting targets. More specifically, the attacker listed the private repositories for user accounts of interest and then proceeded to clone some of those private repositories. Looking across the entire GitHub platform, we have high confidence that compromised OAuth user tokens from Heroku and Travis CI maintained OAuth applications were stolen and abused to download private repositories belonging to dozens of victim organisations that were using these apps, GitHub warned in a post. Our analysis of other behaviour by the threat actor suggests that the actors may be mining the downloaded private repository contents to which the stolen OAuth token had access for secrets that could be used to pivot into other infrastructure. GitHub discovered the breach on April the 12th when the attacker accessed GitHub's NPM production infrastructure and disclosed the breach three days later. Along with Heroku and Travis CI, GitHub had revoked all OAuth tokens to block further access while still advising affected organisations to keep monitoring for suspicious activity. Travis CI said it doesn't believe that the incident poses a risk to customers. The hacker breached the Heroku service and accessed a private application, OAuth T, used to integrate the Heroku and Travis CI applications, they said. This key does not provide access to any Travis CI customer repositories or any Travis CI customer data. We thoroughly investigated this issue and found no evidence of intrusion into a private customer repository, i.e. source code, as the OAuth T stolen in the Heroku attack does not provide that type of access. Heroku is advising customers who see evidence of exfiltration in their logs to check repositories for any credentials that may have been compromised and mitigate access by disabling accounts and rotating credentials as needed. It's also recommended revoking or rotating any exposed credentials. For the protection of our customers, we will not be reconnecting to GitHub until we are certain that we can do so safely, which may take some time, it warned. We recommend that customers use alternate methods rather than waiting for us to restore the integration. The newly published report from the Translating Europe Workshop towards Common European GDPR Guidelines for the Translation and Interpreting Profession sheds light on grey areas of GDPR implementation and compliance in the language services industry. GDPR, of course, came into force in May 2018, but the translation and interpreting sector in particular has suffered from a lack of consistent application and implementation of GDPR resulting from grey areas around compliance and inconsistent guidance from national DPAs. Funded by the European Commission Directorate General for Translation, the Translating Europe Workshop is the first step towards common European GDPR guidelines for the translation and interpreting profession. It encompasses the work of a panel of legal and translation and interpreting sector experts, an all-day online workshop with translating and interpreting professionals, and the summary report. The report outlines key challenges in the implementation and compliance of GDPR in the translation and interpreting profession, explored and analysed by pan-European panel of experts. The report explores six specific areas of interest, 
the types of personal data handled in the translation and interpreting sector, language service providers' roles as data controllers and processors, contractual agreements between controllers and processors, the use of sub-processors in the translation and interpreting sector, issues and solutions around data retention, and identifying, analysing and mitigating risks. The report can be downloaded from the EU ATC's website to be an updated version of the 2020 EU ATC Guide to GDPR and Personal Data in Translation. The EU ATC website can be found at https colon slash slash euatc.org. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To the USA now, and last week, Mediant Communications Incorporated settled a class action lawsuit in the US District Court for the Southern District of New York, stemming from a 2019 data breach in which hackers accessed 200,000 individuals' personal information from its proxy investor communication service. Mediant is based in New York and offers mutual funds and real estate investment trusts along with other financial services. The breach exposed individuals' names, addresses, email addresses, phone numbers, social security numbers, tax identification numbers and account IDs, along with other sensitive information. The lead plaintiff, Philip Toretto, sued Mediant, alleging that the hack was caused by Mediant's poor network security and its failure to encrypt personal information stored and maintained on its systems. Additionally, Toretto claimed that Mediant failed to adequately notify its customers. Judge Gregory H. Woods first determined in February that Toretto could proceed on his declaratory judgment and negligence claims. However, the court dismissed the claims brought against the publicly traded company, Denali Financial Solutions, through which Medium provides proxy investor communication services. The details of the settlement are anticipated within the next few weeks, and we will, of course, bring them to you here on the GDPR Week Show once we have them. Do you ever wish there was a simple way to get to grips with GDPR? Well, now there is. Our best-selling book, GDPR Made Simple, is available on Amazon for just £7.99. It's a short, concise guide to all you need to know about UK GDPR. It's thoroughly recommended for everyone, whatever your level of experience with GDPR. So that's GDPR Made Simple on Amazon right now. To Brazil now, and Brazil has seen a significant improvement in its data breach situation with an 80% decrease in the number of cases seen in the first three months of 2022 compared to the year before. Over 285,000 Brazilians were breached between January and March, placing Brazil in 12th position in the ranking of most breached countries globally. That compared to the situation in the last quarter of 2021, when Brazil occupied 5th spot on the list with 1.45 million breached accounts, with major incidents involving organisations such as the Ministry of Health and Experian. In the latest research, Russia topped the list of breached individual accounts in the first quarter of 2022, with more than 3.5 million users affected, followed by Poland, France and India. However, that's not to say that everything in Brazil is now fine. For example, last week, the company running the network of McDonald's restaurants in Latin America told some of its customers that their data could have been exposed after an incident involving one of its third-party suppliers. Arcos Cerrados sent an email to some of its customers on Sunday saying that some of their data, including names, addresses, emails, telephone numbers and social security numbers, was potentially exposed after the event. On the other hand, the firm said no sensitive data was exposed in the incident and included two email addresses customers could use to get in touch. The company says that when it became aware of what had happened, it took the appropriate measures and contacted consumers that had their data exposed. The local data protection legislation requires companies to do so. Moreover, Arcos Dorados said it has also informed the National Data Protection Authority. 
Arcus Demardus repudiates his criminal activity and is working continuously to strengthen measures to protect its customers' data, including reviewing and constantly updating security systems. We regret the situation and are providing communication channels to clarify any questions consumers might have, the company said in a statement. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Bahrain now, and the Kingdom of Bahrain was the second country in the area to issue national privacy legislation with the Personal Data Protection Law Number 30 of 2018, the PDPL, which we have mentioned previously here on the GDPR Weekly Show. PDPL came into force on the 1st of August 2019. On the 17th of March 2022, the Kingdom's Minister of Justice, Islamic Affairs and WHUF issued six ministerial resolutions supplementing the PDPL and bringing the PDPL more in line with international standards such as GDPR. The resolutions focus on the following areas, the transfers of personal data outside of Bahrain, technical and organisational measures to protect personal data, notification procedures, sensitive data processing, data protection guardians, which is their term for data protection officers, DPOs, the fees for DPO registration, data subject rights and complaints by individuals, data relating to criminal claims and conditions for publicly available registers. The PDPL applies to individual residents or workers in Bahrain, locally established businesses and any businesses outside Bahrain that process personal data by means available in the kingdom other than for purely transitory purposes. This means that non-Bahraini businesses operating data centres or using third-party data processes in Bahrain will be caught under PDPL. So what do the resolutions actually say? Well, Resolution 42 of 2022 on the transfer of personal data outside the kingdom establishes a list of countries that have been deemed adequate by the Personal Data Protection Authority to provide an adequate level of data protection, which is called the adequacy list, which is just like GDPR, the same way that GDPR EU declares people adequate. But the adequacy list for Bahrain is much more extensive than the list for Europe, or indeed the UK. The Bahrain list includes 83 countries, including the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Oman, Jordan, Kuwait, Egypt, India, all EU countries, the UK and the USA. Controllers may transfer personal data to any country on the adequacy list without needing to obtain any authorization from the PDPA. Transfers to the countries not on the adequacy list will require authorization from the PDPA, which is determined on a case-by-case basis unless an exclusion applies. Where transfers are made to third parties in a country not on the adequacy list and pursuant to a contract, Resolution 42 requires controllers to obtain authorization from the PDPA and to provide a copy of the agreement. Where data is transferred within a regional or international group, i.e. within the same group of companies, to a country not on the adequacy list, controllers must obtain authorization from PDPA and comply with the corporate rules. These were a set of binding policies and procedures regulating intergroup transfers, which are submitted to PDPA for approval, similar to the binding corporate rules under GDPR. Resolution 43 of 2022 sets out the technical and organisational measures that controllers should implement to protect personal data. It introduces certain new concepts and obligations that mirror GDPR, including privacy by design and the obligation to conduct data protection impact assessments. There's also a new breach notification requirement, which controllers obliged to notify the PDPA not later than 72 hours after having become a word of data breach, unless the breach is unlikely to result in a risk to the rights of data subjects. Controllers must also communicate data breaches to data subjects in certain circumstances, so again, just like GDPR. Employees should be updated and trained on the measures taken by the controller in line with Resolution 43. Resolution 44 
sets out the rules and procedures for submitting notifications to the PDPA in accordance with Article 14 of the PDPL, unless an exemption applies, and requesting prior authorization in accordance with Article 15 for certain types of processing. It also sets out obligations for data processors, including notifying the data subject of the method of data processing and enabling data subjects to have access to their processed data. Employees should be updated and trained on the measures taken by the controller in line with Resolution 43. Resolution 45 of 2022 sets out the rules and procedures for processing sensitive personal data. A definition of sensitive personal data in PDPL is similar to GDPR's special categories of personal data, excluding genetic and biometric data. Resolution 45 reiterates that sensitive personal data should not be processed without the consent of the data subject unless one of the cases in Article 5 of PDPL applies. These cases mirror the additional legal basis for processing a special category data under GDPR, including, for example, where the processing is required to comply with obligations and rights in the field of employment, where the data is required to exercise or defend legal claims, and where the processing is required to protect the person, where that person is legally unable to provide consent. Controllers will also have to implement additional organisational rules when processing sensitive personal data, including appropriate high-level technical measures to ensure a high degree of protection against secrecy, breach or unlawful processing of such data. So turning into Data Protection Guardians, or what is commonly known under GPR as Data Protection Officers or DPOs, Resolution 46 on Data Protection Guardians states that controllers may appoint a qualified external or internal DPO. However, it does not specify the circumstances when appointing a DPO is mandatory. This will be determined by way of a separate resolution. If a controller appoints a DPO, it must notify the PDPA within three working days of such an appointment. DPOs should be listed on a register available on the PDPA's website, consider a list of external DPOs and a list of internal DPOs. DPOs will need to make a declaration stating whether anything could cause a conflict of interest to their duties or could affect their independence or impartiality. Resolution 47 of 2022 sets out a table of fees for registering DPOs, including renewal fees. Fees for registration can go up to $1,326 for legal entities as external DPOs and $265 for internal DPOs. Turning now to data subject rights and Resolution 48 of 2022 on the rights of personal data subjects clarifies what controllers must do if they carry out automated processing, such as establishing clear rules that set out procedures to enable the data subject to submit an objection to such processing, explaining the purpose of the processing, as well as how decisions are made, and informing the data subject of the outcome of the decision. So again, very light GDPR. Resolution 48 also clarifies that where consent is relied upon to process personal data obtained directly from the data subject, such consent must be expressed and obtained in writing or by electronic means. Data subjects have the right to withdraw consent at any time, and such withdrawal should be made through easy procedures after verifying the identity of the data subject. Again, just like GDPR. In relation to websites, consent granted by data subjects should be considered void if the cookie banners oblige the data subject to provide consent before browsing the website. Resolution 49 deals with rules and procedures for filing complaints against entities that breach PDPL. Any person who is in interest or capacity has the right to file a complaint with the PDPA if they believe there's been a breach of the PDPL or that someone is processing personal data in violation of PDPL. Once the PDPA has examined and accepted the complaint, it will provide a notification to the relevant controller who will have a short period of time to respond with its defence, seven working days from the date of notification. The PDPA may not provide a notification if there is serious evidence of violation of PDPL and a notification would hinder the PDPA investigation. In turn to data relating to criminal claims, 
Personal data relating to the initiation and pursuing of criminal claims and judgments cannot be processed unless by persons specified in Article 7 of PDPL, including specialised public bodies required to perform legal duties and to the extent required to pursue any litigation procedures filed against an entity. Resolution 50 sets out the controls for processing personal data relating to criminal claims by authorised persons. It requires such authorised persons, for example, to prohibit the disclosure, transfer and publishing of criminal claims data to persons who are not authorised to access that data and use technical systems and modern electronic applications that ensure an adequate level of protection and privacy when they're processing such data. Resolution 51 then deals with publicly accessible registers. The PDPL and Resolution 51 set out conditions for creating a publicly available register of personal data. Data controllers that create such registers must meet certain requirements, such as notifying the data subject of their inclusion in the register and obtaining the data subject's approval, unless the data was obtained from public sources, in which case only notification is required, enabling the data subject to amend or write off his or her personal data contained in the register through clear and simple procedures, and include specific information in the register, such as the type and purpose of data. When we then turn to the penalties, processing sensitive personal data or transferring personal data outside the kingdom in violation of PDPL or failure to notify as required by PDPL could lead to fines of up to $53,200 or imprisonment for up to one year. Other violations may lead to administrative fines ranging from $53,200 for one-off fines or daily penalties of up to $2,650, which may be increased for repeat offences. Other sanctions available to PDPA include publishing statements concerning the established violations and referring potential clients to the public prosecutor. Additionally, individuals may attain compensation for damage suffered due to any person of personal data by a controller in breach of PDPL. So again, very light GDPR, except for the bit about imprisonment, which I don't believe I've seen before in any implementation of GDPR or a lookalike to GDPR. So what should companies do next? Well, the resolutions all came into force from the day following the date of publication in the official Gazette, i.e. the 18th of March 2022. Companies therefore need to review the resolutions and ensure that their data processing practices and procedures are swiftly brought into line with the resolutions. Controllers are also required to hold training for employees on the technical and organisational measures and where applicable, specific training for the data protection officer. So if you do operate in the Kingdom of Bahrain, do make sure that you bring yourself up to date with these new regulations, because the indication that we have from the PDPA is that they will be enforced. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurer production. Until next time, bye-bye.